So here we are today uh, on our first Sabbath meeting together and, and worshiping the Lord together. And uh, I want to start off before I get into the message. <clears throat> I am not smart enough or clever enough to put this stuff together. Uh, my whole life in preaching and, and ministering, I have seen this happen so many times where I'm studying a passage um, and it just fits either where I am or where collectively we are. And um, when we chose that we would start our first Sabbath service on this day, I did not look forward and say, what are we going to be teaching on? Like I said, I'm just not smart enough or clever enough to... I just don't even think that way. It just... We just we picked a day around some other events and uh, said it would be today. So there are some, some items in this passage that are absolutely fascinating. I know I say that a lot because the Bible is fascinating, amen? Uh, God's Word is fascinating. And so um, we've actually reached the point where we're going to talk about this golden calf uh, issue, the idol, the problem there in the wilderness. But it's much, much more than just that and everything else that's tied in with this passage. And so I've also chosen, I'm using a different version uh, today uh, because there's some items in here that I want you to see. Typically I do use the uh, ESV, the English Standard Version. It's kind of what I grow, grew accustomed to after that one came out. Uh, but this other uh, version is just called the Scriptures. <clears throat> The one reason why I really like that particular version uh, is because it actually has the name of God, Yahovah, the four letters, Tetragrammaton. It's the, these four consonant letters, the yod Hey, vav Hey, in the Scriptures. There's a number of Messianic Bibles out there, and they still will either use Hashem or Adonai or, or whatever, and quite honestly, none of those are correct. It's not His name. Uh, so his name is Yahovah, and you'll see it with these uh, four letters. So this uh, parsha, this reading today is Ki Tasa, and it, and it means when you take. And once again, these are sectioned off according to the first, uh, in the first sentence, a theme uh, that comes up. And in Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 through 12, let me read this. We'll talk about this just for a second and then uh, want to have a, just a time of prayer with you. So in verse 11, it says, And Yahweh spoke to, and again, you're going to see it in your notes uh, in more of the original Hebrew transliterated, uh, except for the name of God, you'll see it as the Hebrew words. So it says, um, And Yahweh spoke to Moshe, that's Moses, saying, when you take the senses of the children of Israel to register them, then each shall give an atonement for his life to Yahovah when you register them so that there is no plague among them when you register them. So this, is, <clears throat> this teaching is about them taking up and taking up this offering, and it's going to be connected to the uh, building of the tabernacle. And it's a half shekel, what they're going to end up giving. 
uh, and it's like a ransom for their lives, um, and it ends up being those that are 20 years old and older. We'll get into some of that a little bit later. Uh, but in this sentence, it also says, then each one shall give an atonement, or each one shall pay, is what it says in the original. I've got something on your notes there that's absolutely fascinating, because it says, it has been pointed out that the Hebrew word translated, each shall pay, and then I've got the Hebrew letters there, and then how it would be said, they not new, the not new, in other words, and it's uh, palinodrome. Now, what that means is that it's spelled the same from left to right and right to left. If you'll look at the letters in Hebrew, and if you'll read it from right to left, you have to read it backward, okay? So that's the vav, the noon, the tet, and then the noon, and then the vav. So if you read it from, right, from left to right, it's still the same letters in the same order. So this is what it says here. It's spelled the same way from right to left as from left to right. This suggests that charity is a two-way process. One receives even as one gives. And I got that out of the Etzchaim uh, Torah and, and commentary. Um, I, I thought that was fascinating because here it is at the very beginning of this section, and you've heard me mention this numerous times over the past month or so, this issue of measure for measure. And we see it in the New Testament as you reap what you sow. Uh, and we talked about it when we talked about the black stain on the world today and also in America called abortion, which is nothing more than murdering of babies. Uh, and this whole issue of measure for measure, and we wonder why so many people will die during the tribulation period when in the last 40 years we've murdered 20% of the global population. One point six billion babies in about forty five years. And we think the Nazis were bad. Um, so it's this whole thing of measure for measure. Here I want you to see it in this positive. Sorry, that's a downer, isn't it? That's bad. Um, in the positive, because it's talking about charity, and we are supposed to be people that are charitable. Right, And we see this in the New Testament where he says where God loves a cheerful giver. We talked about that. And here it's this even in this word, and you can't see it in the English. This is what's really cool about Hebrew. There's a lot of things in the Hebrew that you just can't see in the English. And as a matter of fact, in the Hebrew text, there are anomalies that mean things. There are times when the letter is out of place or it's elongated, or it's real, real small. Uh, there's all kinds of anomalies that you'll find in the Hebrew that aren't just scribal errors. Uh, and they firmly believe that a lot of these are in here to teach us things because these first five books, especially the first four, Deuteronomy is Moses rewriting everything that God had given him. But we can say that these first five books were pretty much dictated by God. Remember, we talked about it being his constitution. It was their constitution for their country given to them by God. Um, and so in here, he's got these clues for us that are really, really cool. Amen. Uh, we're going to have to work on this again. I, I, look, 
This is a two-way thing here. Y'all not here just to be entertained by me. We're doing this together, amen? So it's okay to respond back. And if I say something, you know, at least make sure, let, let me know you're not sleeping. You know, we're going to praise God together, right? Um, <laughs> amen, there we go. Okay, so um, I, I want to pray together. Uh, we want to ask that God would really visit us and show us His truth that His Word would come to life for us, that it would become what He told us it should be, our delight, our joy, a light unto our path, a lamp right at our feet, that it would be our joy, our life, our, the very air we breathe. That's why Yeshua said that man doesn't live by bread alone, but what? By every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God the Father, which is what we're reading. These are not words just penned by a man. These are words that God gave to Moses, to Moshe, to say, this is how my people are to live, to distinguish them among all the other nations so that everybody will know that I, Yahovah, am the one true God. Absolutely amazing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Yahovah, we love you and we praise your holy name. We thank you so much for Yeshua who came and died on a cross for us. We thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for everything, for giving us life and breath and, Lord, the ability to even be here today. Lord, we lift up those in our family that are struggling. Lord, we especially think of Charlene and her family and just the harsh reality of Greg not being here anymore Lord, I just pray again that you would surround her with your heavenly angels and lift her up on your wings and bring healing to their wounded hearts. Lord, for the others that just so desperately wanted to be here and life just got in the way, God, I pray that you would bless them and be with them and encourage them. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us and Show us and remind us how much you love us and that this very moment you're whistling for us to come back to you. And we're here. So Lord, bless us with your presence. We love you and we pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Isn't God awesome? So in, if we continue on here, it says in Exodus 30, uh, verses 15 and 16, he says, The rich does not give more, and the poor does not give less than a half shekel. When you give a contribution to Yahovah to make atonement for yourselves, and you shall take the silver for the atonement from the children of Israel, and give it for the service of the tent of meeting, and it shall be to the children of Israel for a remembrance before Yahovah to make atonement, for yourselves. It's amazing. I, I keep reading these passages and it's like I could, we could stop and spend forever talking about one sentence. He says here, the rich aren't supposed to give more and the poor aren't supposed to give less. This is what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a half shekel. Everybody's supposed to do their part. Everybody's supposed to... You don't come before the Lord empty-handed. Pretty much what it's saying. 
You don't come before the Lord empty-handed. And that precept even comes out in his um, details on the feasts. Uh, when we come before Him, when we come to worship Him, and this is one of the feasts, amen? This feast, once again, means His appointed time. Time is sacred. If you miss it, you miss it. And you can't get it back. That's why when the Antichrist comes, that's why the types of Antichrist that have come in the past, they do what? They change the time. They changed the calendar because God is specific. Months ago when Zach gave a message, remember he told us about how that God created the stars and the sun and the moon and put them in the heavens. Why? For times and seasons. Why? For His appointed times so that we would know when to meet with Him. And He set in eternity past when He created the realm, when He created everything, He set aside the Sabbath as holy and a time when to be with Him. And here we are. Isn't that cool? doesn't mean that if we were to meet tomorrow for worship that that's wrong and sinful. It just means that it's not the Sabbath. We, and so we're here. Isn't that cool? I'm going to say it again. I've said this before. I don't know that it has sunk in for you yet. You are some of the most courageous people I've ever met in my life. I gave you answers to a question you didn't ask. And you hung in there. And you're here. I find that absolutely extraordinary. But I'm going to tell you something else. The reason you're here is because God has called you. And He's whistled for you. And this was prophesied in the Scriptures. I'm off notes. This was prophesied in the Scriptures. Where He said that at the end of time, watch this, the Gentiles will call out to Yahovah and say, we have inherited nothing but lies from our fathers and will return to Him. And here we are. You, you are a fulfillment of prophecy. Unfolding around the globe. And you're part of that. That's amazing. Can I get a hallelujah from somebody? <laughs> I mean, that is just amazing. Okay, let's go on because there's a lot of good stuff in here. So you jump down. Oh, uh, there's one thing. I'm sorry because there's so much in here. <laughs> in that section there in, in verses 15 and 16, it says, you're going to give this. You're going to give it to God. You're going to give it to Yahovah. And then did you see what it said there at the end? It says, and it shall be for the children of Israel, the children of Israel, for a what? A remembrance before Yahovah. When we are giving this, when, when we were to give this back when this was first built, and we're going to get into this in a second that it's just mind-boggling, uh, it was for there for the service, 
It ends up becoming later, they insta- this was a one-time deal, but they insta- uh, institute later this temple tax service. You remember they come to Jesus and they say, hey, your disciples aren't given the tax. And he tells Peter, hey, go get it out of that fish's mouth. And he goes and gets it and he pays the tax. That's what it's referring to. But this was supposed to be a one-time deal for the building of the tabernacle. And it was there to be a remembrance before God for the children. That's cool. And I believe, and for them. Let's, let's go on. There's something else here that's really cool. In, in chapter 30, again, with verse 22 through 29, let me read this. And Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, And take for yourself, you might want to underline that, take for yourself choice spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, and a half as much, 250 of sweet-smelling cinnamon, and 250 of sweet-smelling cane, and 500 of Kesa, according to the shekel uh, of the set-apart place. That's the tabernacle, but it's also called here the holy place, or in your version might say sanctuary. The set-apart place. The safe place. You've heard of sanctuary cities? But they're not holy. This place is holy, set-apart, sanctified. And a hen of olive oil. And you shall make from these a set-apart holy, if you will, anointing oil, a compound blended, blended, the work of a perfumer. It is a set-apart anointing oil. And with it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the witness. There it is again. Another reason why I gave you this version where you'll read, you know, the ark of the covenant or just the ark or whatever. It's the ark of the witness. It's a witness between this contractual agreement, marriage agreement between them and Yahovah, their Elohim. Okay, and it's verse 27. And the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin with it and with its stand, and you shall set them apart, and they shall be most set apart, or most holy. Watch this. Whatever touches them is to be set apart. I want to elaborate on this just for a second. <clears throat> this special anointing oil was to anoint uh, the holy place, all the utensils, Everything in there and anything that touched it. Later, he's going to talk about this and say, this is supposed to be mixed special and holy, and you do not use it for anything other than what it was designed for. Why? Because when you went to the temple, when you went to the tabernacle, and you went there for whatever reason, prayer, worship, whatever, and you left, people knew where you had been. You ever been to a really, really, really good steakhouse? Is your mouth watering? (laughs) And you leave, and you come home, and you go, you know where you've been? There was a time when on Sundays we would go down here to Luigi's all the time. We'd come back home, you know, because we would just eat until we wanted to almost pop. We'd come home, Matt and Casey or somebody would come over and go, you went to Luigi's, didn't you? <laughs> uh, it's that kind of thing, except it told people you had been with God. It was holy. 
It was special. It wasn't to become common. God deserves our best in every single thing we do. He deserves our best. And what we give Him should never be used for common practice because He's holy and God. I think that's cool, don't you? It's kind of like when... Like it says in the New Testament, when we walk around, people should know that we've been with God or that God is with us. Amen. You ever been around somebody that you're like, I just want to be around this person more because you know they've spent time with God? Do something other than shake your head and rattle or something, right? Um, And that, that glory is just kind of leaking off of them. This comes up later in this passage. We're not going to spend any time dealing with it, but it talks about because Moses being in the very presence of God, that Shekinah glory was dripping off of him. It was emanating off of his face to the point it scared them. They made him put a veil over his face. We should be with God so much that when we go outside, people just know. He should leak out of us. Amen? Um, Let's go on. If you'll turn to the next page, we're going to go ahead and jump to Exodus chapter 31. This is another one that's just cool. You cannot see it if you're not really understanding your Hebrew. Uh, Verse 1 through 3, it says, And Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, See, I have called by name Bethel-el, is how it would say, son of Uriah, son of Hur, of the tribe of Yehuda, Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of Elohim in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all work. Betzel El, did you, you see that? Betzel El, Gabriel, Micah El. You following that? El is short for Elohim, God. Betzel El means in the shadow of Elohim. Can I get a hallelujah, amen, somebody? (laughs) Right? So this is the guy that God calls. He said, see, I have called him. And I have put my spirit of wisdom and excellence in him. And Bethel El, watch this whose name means in the shadow of God, is the one that's going to be the overseer for the building of the tabernacle. You see, Moses doesn't really build it. Moses was given the vision. Moses was given all the instructions. But Moses isn't going to be really overseeing the building of it. Bethel El is. Moses' job is to hear from God speak with God, intercede for the people, all that kind of stuff. He gives them the instructions. He's had the vision. But guess what? Bethel El also knows what to do. We'll get into that again here in just a minute. But let's let's go on down because the, the two of these tied together is absolutely fascinating. And he goes, and look, Moshe, if you will, Catch on to this. And look, I have appointed with him Aholiab, 
son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have put wisdom in the hearts of everyone who is wise-hearted, and they shall make all that I have commanded you. They're going to make what I've given you the commandment to make. You're not going to make it, Moses. They're going to make it. Look what Aholiab's name means. The Father's tent. What are they building? The Father's tent. You see, names mean things. God didn't pick these people by accident. And here's the unasked question that is absolutely fascinating. Well, who named these boys? They're not babies. Some will say that they were probably young men. I have a tendency to agree with that. I also, as you already know, believe that the 144,000 that will be sealed will be very young children. That's just my opinion. Uh, but it's believed that these two uh, young men, that, that they, are, they are young, and God calls them out by name, and they were named for a reason years before their, they realized their calling. That's cool, huh? One is named in the shadow of God. He's going to be the chief overseer of the building of the tabernacle, the tent of God, and his partner, his name means the Father's tent. Mankind can't put this stuff together, amen? I just think that is so cool. And watch this. This is a type of Messiah and the Trinity. Jesus comes and does what? Builds his father's house. Yeah. You read about this later where it talks about Jesus building the tabernacle in Hebrews. Look at this. I've got this passage in here for you in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Let me just read through this real quick. It says, Therefore set apart brothers. There it is, something set apart, sanctified, holy. That term sanctified or holy. Therefore set apart brothers or holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Closely consider the emissary and high priest of our confession, Messiah, Yeshua, who was trustworthy to him, who appointed him, all, as also Moshe, Moses, in all his house. For this one has been deemed worthy of more esteem than Moshe, as much as he who built the house enjoys more respect than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all is God, Elohim. And Moshe indeed is trustworthy in all his house as a servant for a witness of what would be spoken later. But Messiah... As a son over his own house, whose house, what? We are. If we hold fast the boldness and, and the boasting of the expectation firm to the end. Therefore, look at this, as the set apart Holy Spirit says, today, this is important. You might want to underline this because we're going to come back to it. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me 
proved me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, look out brothers, lest there be in any of you a wicked heart of unbelief in falling away from the living Elohim. But encourage one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So that passage is massive. We're going to tie this together, I believe, here in just a second. You want to make sure you underline that thing there where it says, or that sentence there, statement where it says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts like they did in the wilderness. Don't harden your hearts if you hear his voice. We're hearing his voice, amen? Oh. We're hearing his voice, amen? You know this is being recorded. <laughs> okay. And so we're here, and if we're hearing him, let's not harden our hearts, amen? So we want to respond and we want to be consistent and watch how this comes together because this is also talking about Jesus, Yeshua, building his own house, building the house for the Father, which we're told in Peter that we are what? Living stones being built together into this holy house, the very temple, if you will, of God. You, re you recall that passage when we've, we've been through there? All right, and so he says, you need to be careful lest any of us be deceived or be hardened by the deceivableness of sin. It is so deceptive. Um, let's go on. I, I, I'm sure that here in a minute you're going to see how this ties together. <clears throat> in the middle of all this, all of a sudden God goes, oh yeah, and by the way, let's talk about this Sabbath thing. This is that area where I said, we chose to start today, and in the, here in this passage, now it's going to talk about the Sabbath. I had somebody ask me on the internet, so why are y'all meeting on Saturdays? You're not meeting on Sundays, because I made it specific, you know, okay, we're not going to now have services on Sundays, we're having it on Saturday. And they said, oh, so, why are you not meeting on Saturdays anymore? And I went, oh, how do I answer that briefly on Facebook? So I gave them the very, very brief uh, answer. I uh, haven't gotten a reply back yet, but the very brief answer is because it's God's day. Amen. And he set it apart and he said, you're to keep it and to keep it holy. And the word keep, I'm going to remind you again, means guard, protect. Okay. So now in the middle of all this, talking about this holy anointing oil and uh, the, the tabernacle, and you're going to take up this... Uh, half shekel, you're going to do all these other things. Yeah, sidetrack. Let's talk about the Sabbath for a second. So let's read this passage here in Exodus 31, verses 12 through uh, 16. It says, And Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, My Sabbaths you are to guard by all means. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. Look at this to know that I, Yahovah, am setting you apart. You see, the reason for the Sabbath isn't really just so that you can rest. That's part of it. 
But if you don't catch the main reason for it, you'll you get off track. He says, this is why, so that you and I will know that Yahweh is the one that sets us apart. You don't set yourself apart by following the Sabbath. Are we clear on that? There's a lot of people, though, that really think that. Now we're more holy because, and we could walk out here today, oh, man, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good because I did the right thing, and you know, now I've set myself apart. Wrong. God set it apart. God is setting us apart. He has a calendar, but you have a choice if you want to show up or not. And when we show up in all of our goodness, whatever that, however you want to define that, we are not the ones that sanctify and make ourselves holy. He's the one that does it. I mean, God is the one that sets us apart, makes us holy. We are saved by grace through faith, and even that is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God so that we won't boast. You know why? Because you and I are just as prideful as anybody else. So anything that we have that's good comes from Him. Amen? Verse 14, it says, And you shall guard the Sabbath. There it is again. That's the word there for keep. You shall guard the Sabbath, for it is set apart for you. Everyone who profanes it shall certainly be put to death. For anyone who does work on it, that being shall be cut off from among his people. Six days work is done, and on the seventh is a Sabbath of rest. Look at this. Set apart to who? Yahovah. It's set apart to him. We benefit. He's giving it to us, but it is set apart unto him. That's why in Genesis 1 it says, look, God created everything in those six days, and on the seventh day, He rested. He set it apart as a Sabbath. He put the sun and the moon and the stars and everything out there. Why? To declare who He is. And He has a set order for it. When we get into His economy, we're declaring who He is. It's just that simple. Amen? Look, it says, uh, continuing on, everyone doing work on the Sabbath day shall certainly be put to death. I'm not telling you to go out here and start stoning people that work on the Saturday. <laughs> Don't you dare go out of here and say, I told you to do that. There are rules in the Torah about that. We're not in the land and everything. It doesn't, it doesn't fly. That's a whole nother sermon. Verse 16, and the children of Israel shall guard the Sabbath. Now look at this to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an what? An everlasting covenant. How long is everlasting? I thought everlasting only lasted until 70 A.D. when God ran the Jews out of Israel. That's what replacement theology says, which I'll go ahead and say it is a lie out of the pit of hell. Um. It says it's an everlasting covenant. So the Sabbath is an everlasting covenant. The church changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. This is a, almost a direct quote. It upset me so much when I read it, it sunk into my DNA. They literally said, God gave us the authority to do it and proof that we have the authority to do it. We did it and nobody stopped us. That's their authority. Of course, if anybody tried to stop them, they would have killed you. And did. It's outside of the biblical, any biblical mandate. 
The Sabbath is Saturday. There's no such thing as a Christian Sabbath. And watch this. I'm going to go ahead and say it. There's no such thing as your Sabbath. It doesn't exist. You know, people say, well, this is how I'm taking my Sabbath. And I go, oh, oh, okay. I'm trying to learn to go. But God has His Sabbath, His calendar. We either get in and on His calendar or we are on our own. And you do not have the authority or power or anything to declare that you have a Sabbath. You're not God. <laughs> you can take your rest. That's cool. Okay. But I just don't think we should be calling it our Sabbath. I'm just saying because it says it's His. You can try to claim it as yours if you want, but you're going to have to take that up with the owner. <laughs> okay? Um, so here we are today, and, and we're here keeping it, guarding it. And I hope so far you've had a good Sabbath. And I hope it's getting a crown on it this evening by being able to be here together and just worshiping the Lord and thinking about all of His goodness because God is good, amen? He is awesome. All right, let's, let's go on here. <clears throat> let's look at this golden calf thing. Here we go, and here's where I think all of this starts to get tied together. In chapter 32, verse 1, it says, And when the people saw that Moshe was so long in coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together. Aaron said to him, Arise, make us mighty ones, or Elohim, or God, gods, uh, who go before us. For this Moshe, the man who brought us up out of the land of Mitzrayim, that's for uh, Egypt, and it also means burden or bondage. But that's the word in Hebrew for Egypt. Then look what it says. We do not know what has become of him. So here I want you to see something first before we continue. <clears throat> the people are not rejecting Yahovah as their God. As a matter of fact, they don't see God as the problem. What is the problem that they see? They see a problem in not knowing what's happened to Moses. You following that? And they said, Aaron, you need to get up and make us an image. You need to make us a God because we don't know what's happened to Moses. What did they want? They wanted a mediator, which in pagan practices, <clears throat> which is what happened a lot in Egypt when they had all these gods, they would take a thing Many times, most times, it was some graven image of some kind. But they would take a thing, they would pray over it, they would go through ritual sacrifices trying to get the spirit of another being to attach to the thing so that they could talk to the God through the thing. Are you following me with that? And let me go ahead and say this, that stuff's real. If you don't know that, that stuff is real. And I've experienced it myself with something as simple as a piece of amber and other stuff. 
and I had to crush it and break it up and get rid of it to get that spirit away from me. That's what they were wanting, remembering the 400 or so years in Egypt. And then this is one other thing as a clue to where we're headed. You have to remember, too, who all is at Mount Sinai? Who all is at the bottom of Mount Sinai? You got Israel and what? Yeah, uh, this mixed multitude, sojourners, and even some Egyptians and other slaves that came out with them. Plus, Israel's been in there 400 years. You think they've got some emotional and mental memories of that stuff? And they were using Moses, Moshe, as one of those things. Mediator. That's why they said, he's scaring us, Moses. You talk to God, and then you talk to us. That's why they did that. It went right back to their pagan, if you will, an Egyptian understanding. You following that? So Moses is up on the mountain. He hadn't come down yet. They get worried. We need another mediator. Aaron, you need to make us one so we'll have another mediator because we don't know what's happened to Moses. You following that? Let's go on because they say something else that's absolutely, and something else happens that's fascinating. In verses 3 through 5, it says, And all the people took off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he took this from their hand, and he formed it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. And they said, This is your mighty one, or this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Mitzrayim, out of Egypt, Aaron saw and built an altar before it, the calf. And Aaron called out and said, Tomorrow is a festival to... You can read it. To who? To Yahovah. You following that? So they're not rejecting Yahovah as God. They're trying to solve a problem. This is where it gets... Absolutely fascinating, especially when you think about history. Before I get into that, I want you to see something here. Where did they get the gold? From their ears. Hmm. They had a lot of other gold. They had all kinds of gold. They had gold idols and plates and cups and stuff and jewelry. But Aaron tells them specifically, I want you to take the, the gold out of your ears, out of your son's ears and daughter's ears and bring them here. Why would he do that? I think he's trying to tell them something because Aaron really didn't want to do this. I don't think he really wanted to. But the people were pushing him. And then he comes up with this crazy scheme that's just hilarious. But anyways, <laughs> he tells them, he says, take it out of your ears. If you jump down, because I'm going to go back and forth here just for a second. In verse, uh, in back in Exodus 24, verse 7, this is where Moses takes the book of the covenant. He's already written it. 
He goes back up on the mountain to get what? The stone with the, gold, the, the tablets of the, the witness, the covenant, the Ten Commandments. But as far as right, he's already written it out in a book. He goes up on the mountain. And before he does that, he reads it to the people and they say what? Everything, he reads it in their hearing. Let me go ahead and read it before I get ahead of myself. He took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, what was it that they said? Look at it, read it. What was it that they said? All that Yahovah has spoken, which means they what? They heard it. They said with their mouths, everything that Yahovah has spoken, we will do and what? It's right there. And obey. Moses goes up on the mountain. They've still got the book. Moses tells them, I'm going up on the mountain. You've got Aaron and her here. If you've got a problem, go talk to them. Now, this is fascinating. They go up on the, he goes up on the mountain. He's been gone about 40 days, 40 nights, about that time. The people, watch this, imagine a problem. And then they come up with a way to solve God's problem that they've imagined. Are you following this? They don't reject God, right? They're trying to replace Moses. They still want to worship God, Yehovah. They just need another mediator. But they're remembering their past. So they're going back. Watch this. They imagine a problem. They can only deal with what they have emotionally. They haven't learned really obedience yet to the very Word of God that they have. They already have it. They've had a sacrifice, and Moses has walked out there throwing blood on them. Because they heard the word of God. They had a sacrifice. They said, everything that Yahweh said, we will do it. And it's ratified with blood. Moses goes back up on the mountain. He goes, I'm coming back. They've been through the parting of the Red Sea, the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud. They got the angel of God. The 70 elders go up on the mountain with Moses and his and Aaron and their sons, and they have a meal with Yahovah himself for crying out loud. He goes up on the mountain. He's been gone a little more than a month. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Oh, I don't know. What are we going to do? Oh, well, we've got to solve this problem. Isn't it amazing? You're going to tell me we haven't done that? Folks, that's where replacement theology came from. It's the same thing. They don't reject God, but they want another mediator. And then they emotionally go back to what they remembered when God said, don't do that. And they said, yeah, but it'll be okay. We're still worshiping God. And so they make the golden calf. But what do they make it out of? The jewelry that's hanging on the part of their body that heard God speak. Two things. 
In 70 AD, Rome destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, burned it to the ground. The reason they burned even the stones was to get the gold out of it. That was the booty to the Roman soldiers. That's why Jesus said, not a stone's going to be left. They're going to tear it down. Anti-Semitism had started in the church before John the Apostle died because there was a guy there, Diotrephes, who was obviously Greek. We know that from his name. We've been over this, but just for a repeat, uh, a reminder. And John said, he doesn't allow us to come. As a matter of fact, when the brethren try to come, he puts those out of the church that welcome them, and he's even speaking wicked nonsense about us. Why would he do that? Because he didn't understand and wasn't trained in the Torah. He didn't understand it. It's called lawlessness, Torahlessness. Is what it, that's what that is. That's why Jesus says that in the end, because of what? Lawlessness, wickedness is going to abound and people will become hateful. Well, hello. And so mankind, when God took his people and scattered them, why did he do that? To protect them. Because Satan was ticked. What we've been told was the Jews rejected the kingdom. Therefore, God kicked them out, destroyed them, destroyed the temple, destroyed the sacrifices. Now he's given it all over to the Gentile church. And we are now spiritual Israel. Lie, lie, lie. I'll go on record. Wrong, 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 wrong. If that's the truth, then God isn't God. Somebody help me. Because God prophesied that He would do all these things and that He would bring Israel back, and through this impossible thing, He was going to prove that He is God Almighty. So mankind goes, God's got a problem. Here's the solution. And then we mixed every other pagan thing you can imagine in God's church, and we go, and God's okay with it. We're not rejecting God. We're just taking all these other things and using it to worship God. It's a golden calf. The second part of that is kind of a warning for us. We made the shift. We're driving over here, and I told Sonia, I said, man, this is weird. She goes, what's weird? I said, everything's weird. She goes, what do you mean it's weird? I said, well, we're going to church tonight. We're going to sleep in tomorrow. And on top of that, we're in the same car. (laughs) It's just all different. It's not different that we're having a meeting on a Saturday night. I mean, we've done these kind of, but it's the thought of this is going to be permanent and all that other kind of stuff. And so we're setting some new paradigms, if you will. And our danger will be to ever be thinking about the past and want to go back. We can't go back. God has called us and set us free. 
We can't go back. I'm not going back. Uh, and the devil can't have my earring. Mm-mm. That was part of the spoils coming out of Egypt, amen? Right? Hmm. I want you to see something else in here that's absolutely, it's, it's mind-boggling. Because in verse 4, in this section here, in, verse, in chapter 32, verses 3 through 5, after they make the molten calf, and then it says, and they said, this is, this is telling. You have to read this slow. They said, who be they? <laughs> who be they? They said, Somebody said this. It wasn't Aaron, or it would have said, and Aaron said. It just says, they said. Is this all the people of Israel? I don't believe so, because it's directed at Israel. It says, and they said, this is your mighty one, O Israel. Hmm. We got a few possibilities here. One, it's some of those elders that went up on the mountain and then acted the idiot. Which I think maybe some of those were involved in this because they enticed all of the people and watch this and forced Aaron's hand. If those 70 elders that went up on the mountain with Aaron had stood firm and said, Aaron, don't do it will kill him. He wouldn't have done it. They were the elder, they were the leaders. Where were they? They evidently failed. Maybe they were the part of this. But there's another telling thing and a possibility that maybe some of these that were saying this were part of the sojourners. Maybe some of those Egyptians Maybe they were saying, well, what happened to your God? I mean, they could have been going nuts, man. I mean, I left my house, almost got killed by Pharaoh. My family hates me. They want to murder me. I'm out here in the wilderness. I changed my gods for your God. What happened? You see that? So listen. No matter who is hanging around you, you need to hear me on this. No matter who is hanging around you, no matter who is whispering in your ear, there is one thing you can trust, and that's the Word of God. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care if it's a prophet, a preacher, even one of the apostles. If it goes against what Yeshua is saying, we either need to tear it out or tell them to shut up or get lost. Because you'll have some really good people that are really going to say, well now, is that what God really meant? And who does that sound like? 
an angel of light. Looking to deceive and take us right back to the garden and doubt God. Good people that might even travel with you. Go on this path with you and then start planting seeds of doubt. I'm just trying to warn you. You need to stay glued to your word, the word of God, because that you can trust. You take every single thing I say, anything you read, anything you hear, for God's sake on YouTube, challenge it with the very word of God. Amen. They had people going with them and they slipped up horribly and end up making the golden calf for crying out loud. And they make it out of the thing that was hanging on their ears that caused them to say, we will obey and we will follow. Not on my watch. Amen? We're going to stay true and stay true to the Word of God. All right. Um, we got to go on here. Because of the golden calf, God says, I mean, he's, he gets ticked. Let me paraphrase. And he tells Moses, I'm just going to kill him. I'm done. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to start all over with you, Moses. And, and, Mo, and he even tells Moses, Moses, don't mess with me. I'm going to kill him. Don't, you even, don't bring it up. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to start over with you. Don't you even start praying for him. You following that? But Moses does it anyhow. And then Moses does something that's amazing. And you have to see this because this is key in you understanding your Bible. In chapter 32, verses 12 through 14, he says, Moses is responding to God saying he's going to kill him. And he goes, why should the Mitzrayats, the Egyptians, in other words, speak and say for evil? He brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from the heat of your wrath and relent from this evil to your people. Then he tells him, remember Abraham, Yitzhak, and Israel. That's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Your servants, look at this, to whom you swore, oh my goodness, by yourself. This is huge. He says, to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I increase your seed like the stars of heavens and all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your seed and they shall inherit it forever. And Yahovah relented from the evil which he uh, had said he would do to his people. You need to underline that section there where it says, Your servants to whom you swore by yourself. God promised that he would do this based on his sheer existence. This is why obliteration of the Jewish people is a top priority for Satan himself. God swore above uh, uh, to heaven and earth based on his sheer existence. He swore it by himself. This is what I'm going to do. Folks, this is why anti-Semitism is demonic and straight out of the pit of hell. This is why replacement theology is wrong. <laughs> It, can, it, is, it is not compatible with the Word of God. 
It is not compatible with two-thirds of your Bible. Two-thirds of the prophecies in your Bible deal with Israel and God's promise to Israel and God's commandments and God's prophecies about what they will do and what He will do in their place and how He's going to bring everything to a finish, to to a climax end. And it all revolves around Israel. That's why there's 12 gates with 12 names on them in, in the New Jerusalem. And none of those names are the church. It's these 12 boys. It's huge. It's important. Let's go on. I'll try to close this down here. The last page on your notes here. When you get into Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, this is uh, Yeshua. He's traveling around And here it says, And it came to be as they journeyed on the way that someone said to him, Master, I shall follow you wherever you go. And uh, Yeshua said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the heaven have nests, but the son of Adam or the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. Now this one he's saying, You follow me. The first one says, I'm going to follow you. And Jesus challenges him. This one he says to another, he says, Follow me. But he said, Master, let me first go and bury my father. And Yeshua said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and announce the reign or the, the kingdom of God, the reign of Elohim. And another also said, Master, I shall follow you, but, for, but let me first say goodbye to those in my house. But Yeshua said to him, No one, look, this is huge. This ties into what we've just been talking about, what happened with the golden calf and where we are today and what's been going on throughout history in the church. It says, um, but Yeshua said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the reign of Elohim. It's going right back to the golden calf. Once you've started and once you say everything that we've heard, we're going to uh, hear and, and obey, and, and we're going to do it. And we want to get married, Yahovah. We want to be, become your bride. So he says, when you do that, you can't go back. Because if you do, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Don't ask me to get into the theological ramifications of that statement. We don't have time. Okay? It just, is Yeshua God... Should we follow what he said? Would he ever lie to us? Would he lead us astray? Is he talking to us in a sarcastic way? Then can we just read what he said and believe it and take it? He said, Yeshua said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the reign of God, the reign of Elohim. That's what he said. So should we look back? Should that be clear enough warning? Don't look back. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember, yeah, that was, was that coming to mind? Sodom and Gomorrah? Lot's wife? What'd she do? Why would God do those things? He does, once again, he's into symbolism. You know why? Well, we're just thick-headed. We need pictures. Because sometimes just the written word just not good enough. So he gives us pictures over and over and over and over and over again. Remember what's going to happen? We just, got, went, we just went through the book of Revelation. And one of the biggest warnings in there is don't take the mark of the beast. 
Don't swear allegiance to it. It's more than just technology, folks. But don't swear allegiance to this. And when the sacrifices start again, I'm going to say it again, don't speak out against it because they will start. And the church is going to say, stop that. Jesus already died on the cross. You're not supposed to do that. Oh, oh, oh no, those poor animals. And they're going to be popping in the same thing that the Antichrist is going to say. Why should we worry? Don't look back. <laughs> Stay true to what He's called us to do and He's told us in His Word. And watch this. Stop imagining a problem that doesn't exist. Does God have it under control? What Did He have it under control with uh, Betzel, El, and Aholiab before they were even born? Before He brought them out of Egypt? Before they knew anything about the significance of their names? Was, was He in control of all of that? Was He in control of it when He brought Moses? Was He in control of it when He had Yeshua come at the exact time when He needed to come and die on the cross so that He could be raised, be in the ground three days, three nights, and raised on, the fir on first fruits? Was He in control of all that? Is He in control of everything else? Is He in control of all these small details? Yes, some of the small details, yes, in your life. Is He? Well, then we need to stop imagining problems that don't even exist. And given God an answer to a problem that He doesn't have. Because every single time we do it, we mess it up. Every single time we imagine a problem that doesn't exist and we come up with a solution, a man-made solution, we mess it all up. It's real simple. Love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. On these two hang all of the law and the prophets and we're just going to study the Word of God, live by the Word of God, and love each other. I got a whisper, amen. That's pitiful. That's what we're going to do, amen? amen. We're not going to turn back and that's just, we're, we're going to be what God's called us to be and that's pretty cool, amen? Hmm. So, when you get back into Exodus, I don't know, I don't know anything about my time. I keep looking back there expecting to see 12 a.m. <laughs> I'm all messed up. So, in Exodus 34, uh, oh, I need to get back to verse uh, 4, sorry. In Exodus 34, starting with uh, verse 4 and 5. So, now we've gotten past all of that. And now uh, he goes back up on the mountain. He's cut these two stone tablets. Uh, Moses has. Uh, get, uh, God's going to engrave them. So in verse 4 it says, And he cut the two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moshe rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as Yahweh commanded him. And he took the two tablets of stone in his hand. You have to read this with me real slow. And Yahovah came down in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name Yahovah. Yeah, you could say that louder. Wow. So Yahovah comes down on the mountain in this cloud and Yahovah proclaims to Moshe Yahovah. You need to understand something about this name. It's, you'll see it sometimes referred to as I, the great I am. Okay, it's In the Hebrew, it's Asher, Ayeh, Asher. 
What it means is that God will be what God will be when God wants to be. In essence, it's saying that God exists. And that everything that does exist, exists because He exists. And that nothing can come into being without Him existing. That's why, you know, all this evolutionary garbage is also straight out of the pit of hell. And you talk about faith. Oh, well, all these molecules bounce together and, you know, big bang and everything spun, you know, into this, yeah, soup. And then you go, okay, let's, I'll give you that. Where did the molecules come from? Well, we don't know. You talk about blind faith. That's, I mean, real blind faith. I mean, so for eternity past, there was nothing. And then all of a sudden, there were these molecules that bounced together and boof and boom. And we came out of the mire and the muck and we crawled on webbed limbs and turned into this. And now I got baby sheep in my backyard. Genius. And where did those molecules come from? Well, we don't know. Oh, okay, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going with God. Amen? Um, so that's what he proclaimed to him. This Yahovah, it's based on those verbs. Uh, and he proclaims this to him. So let's just continue to read here because it says in verses 6 through 7. Now keep in mind, this is right after the golden calf, Right? It's right after the golden calf. This is really cool. So in verses, starting in verse 6, it says, And Yahovah passed before him and proclaimed, Yahovah, Yahovah, an El, meaning an Elohim. The, the, pause. Elohim is a term that refers to his Place of origin or residence. A, a, a being of heaven, in other words. It is not his name. That's why I like it in this version because it says, an L. You following that? Which L is short for Elohim. Betzel L, Gabriel L, from Gibor, the great one before God, uh, Michael. It goes, so El is short for Elohim, which is not his name. It's a, it's a designation of origin or where he came from or his residence. So it says, God comes and he passes before him and he proclaims, Yehovah, Yehovah, an El, an El who is, watch this, compassionate. You see, this section here is referred to the 13 attributes of God's mercy. We serve a merciful God that even after a golden calf, anybody here other than me been an idiot? Some are being some right now. <laughs> I mean, an absolute idiot. And you go, I go, Paul, what, in the world, what is wrong with you? Yet the God we serve is a compassionate God. That is so awesome, isn't it? Showing favor. He's patient. I'm not that patient. I wish I was more patient. Our God is so patient. And when we rebel so much, He's still 
waiting and longing and calling and whistling. Just come to me. Just, just come. Just come. He's great in kindness and in truth. Watching over kindness for thousands. Hallelujah. Amen. Forgiving crookedness and transgression and sin. I'm so God, so glad God is patient and forgiving and compassionate, aren't you? I know I'm the only one here that had those moments when I thought I'm going to sin and I went ahead and did it. In other words, all of my sins are not accidental. Probably very few are accidental, right? That's that wickedness and crookedness and transgression and sin that He's willing to forgive and He's great in kindness and truth. But then He follows it with, but by no means leaving unpunished, visiting the crookedness of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This God we serve is an absolutely amazing God. Amen. We have to close with this. In verse 12 it says, And He said, This is, once again, tied to this key in understanding your Bible for it to finally be unlocked for you and to unfold this beautiful tapestry of what He's doing. In verse 10 He says, And He said, See, I'm making a covenant before all your people. I'm going to do wonders such as have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of Yahovah. Look at this. For what I am doing with you is awesome. Meaning awe struck. Meaning the people seeing this will not be able to utter a word. That's what God said He's going to do with Moses and the people of Israel. Isn't that cool? God Himself says, listen, I'm making this covenant. And I'm making this promise. And that what I'm about to do is going to blow everybody's mind. And as a matter of fact, it's awesome. That's the God that's calling you. That's the God that's whistling for you. That's the God that called us to be here today. To be with Him. To be with each other. To talk about the wonders of His Word and His works, His love and grace and mercy. I just find it absolutely awesome. He closed this, closes it with this. Just in, in verse 12, He says, Guard yourself. He just got to tell Him, what I'm doing with you is awesome. Now, be careful. <laughs> right? Guard yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you're going lest they be a snare in your midst. 
But this is what you need to do. You need to break down their altars, smash their pillars, and cut down their Asherim poles. For you do not bow yourselves to another mighty one. For Yahovah, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous L. He spells it out and he says, listen, you need to be careful and watch this, guard yourself. Because you're going to go in there, I'm going to go before you and I'm going to drive out these giant clans. I'm going to drive out all these other peoples. I'm going to give you this land, but you need to understand something. Where you're going is enemy territory. Where you're going is where the watchers have been. Where you're going is where all these other demons are floating around. And you need to be very careful because there's going to be some good-looking girls over there. There's going to be some really hot guys over there. There's going to be some really good-looking land and some really fun traditions. Don't do it. You're a set-apart people. And if you do it, it'll be a snare to you. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I'm jealous. You're my bride. I'll not have you in bed with another. That's what they did. And we've done the same thing. So we repent. And we say, no more. We're going to follow you, God. We're going to be true to your word. We're going to love each other. We're going to love you. We're going to do our best to serve you with a pure heart. We're going to do our best to learn what you said in your word and trust your word above our traditions and above our emotions. Amen? So what I want for us is for us to remember uh, where we're headed more than where we came from. We're going to the promised land. We're going to the promised land. (laughs) That's cool, right? But here's one thing I don't think that has sunk in. No, we really are going to the promised land. See, it hadn't sunk in yet. It's real. We really are going to the promised land. This is just a taste. This is, we're really going to the promised land. There's going to be a funeral in here on Friday for Greg. Greg Morrison, Charlene's husband, passed away Wednesday night, early, early Thursday morning. I was talking to Charlene, and I said, Charlene, here's what we just keep forgetting. We're in the room with him. He'd been gone for a while. I said, what we keep forgetting is we think that God's going to give us this, I don't know, ghostly body or something. Wrong. God is going to resurrect that dead body. I got one. Yes, he is out of that. God's going to resurrect that real body. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And He's going to give you a plot of land that's real. 
It's not on a cloud thumbing a harp. That's Hollywood trying to solve God's problem. He says, I'm going to resurrect your body. And it's going to live forever. You remember when Jesus showed up? Poof, he shows up in a room. It's a ghost. Remember that story? And what does he do? Not a ghost. Look at here. Put your hand in here. You got something to eat? Let me have something to eat. I'll show you. Put your hands. Thomas, put your finger in here. That's when he cries out, my God, my God. It was a real body. Was he able to come and go? Of course he can. He's God. But he's the first fruits and we're going to get a real body on a piece of land. Hallelujah, that won't get muddy. Oh my gosh. It won't get muddy while I'm having lambs. What a nightmare. It won't be anything like that. It'll be back in the garden. We ought to get up and dance hallelujah, amen. It's going to be real. We're really going to the promised land. I ain't going back to Egypt. That's cool, amen. And so here we are. We look at this passage today, and it's our first time to have literally a formal Shabbat service on the Sabbath. And God knew from eternity past that we would look at this passage today on a day when we said, we're going to go and we're going to go do this. And here we are, and I know we're not all here, but everybody wanted to be here. And I go, hallelujah, because our God is awesome.